0: Tuesday, November 8th was midterm election day in the US. If you're on any social media platforms, I'm sure that's all you could see. I'm sure you were already aware of that. But what you might not have known was that Tuesday, December 6th was also election day, but only in the state of Georgia. All 435 seats of the House of Representatives was up for grabs in this re-election, along with one third of the Senate. There were several gubernatorial races and state legislature races as well happening at the state level. The results of this midterm election may surprise you. Welcome to our latest episode of Shorts, where we'll be talking about the results of the 2022 midterm elections. And of course, talk all things politics. We had to bring out our very own Ryan Goodman. So welcome, Brian.
1: Thanks for having me back. This is incredible i can't believe we're at the end of the semester already
0: also like that we're still talking about elections we just love elections here at shorts don't we
1: (laughs) unfortunately they consume everything i do at this (laughs) point for the past month
0: all right so let's just get started um we want to be mindful of those who may not even have known about election so give us an overview of what were the like outcomes of this midterm election and what made them so special
1: Yeah. So in the House of Representatives, like we talked about earlier, all four hundred and thirty five seats are up for reelection. Historically, the president's party that is in power loses seats in the House of Representatives. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. Democrats lost, I'd say, about ten seats, maybe, uh, according to just rough estimates. which was able to give Republicans a majority for the, in the House for the first time since 2018. And though their majority is very slim, it has positioned Republican leader Kevin McCarthy to become the next Speaker of the House, but he's already seeing an uphill battle on the way to win that Speakership vote simply because of how diverse the political positions of his caucus are, and he can only afford to lose four votes.
0: Okay. So is the outcome of this midterm election special in this, because you said that it's normal for the opposing party of the president end up winning the midterms. Yeah. So that wasn't the surprise. Is the surprise just how narrow the results ended up being?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you, some can make the argument that the economic conditions that we're currently under are on par to what we were seeing in 2010 with those midterms when Democrats lost 60 something seats in the house Mm -hmm. Uh, but apparently with eight percent inflation uh, they're only able to pick up about 10 maybe a dozen close to 15 at most seats i don't know the exact numbers in front of me Mm -hmm. but it was nowhere near the red wave or red tsunami that some had predicted was going to happen
0: Okay, so I want to unpack that a bit because I've had a lot of people say, well, what is this big red wave everyone was talking about? I think that term, especially to us, like we know what that is, and it's been thrown around a lot. But to those that don't know what the red wave is or what it was supposed to be, can you explain a little bit of what... Yeah, so yeah. it's
1: just like a, a political metaphor, essentially. Um, red being the color traditionally kind of assigned to the Republican Party and Democrats being blue. So picture, like... A wave of either Republican voters or elected officials coming into office during these midterm elections, as a result of kind of a check on President Biden's first two years in office.
0: So let's a little bit dive deeper into like the actual results now that we mm-hmm. know like the overall aspect. Yeah. So let's talk about the House. Um, I think those of you who have been on shorts for a while, I think we've discussed what the House does, what the Senate does. But if you can briefly explain what the House does, what the Senate does, and why the outcome of this midterm impacted them and why they're so important, I think our listeners would like to know.
1: Yeah, so the House of Representatives has the sole power to impeach a president, executive official, any judges in federal office. Um, So that's really important. That was Kind of one of the big things that Republicans did run on, whether it be to impeach the president himself or other members of his cabinet, uh, the DHS secretary um, Merrick Garland, I mean even the vice president, that seemed to be one of the big things that they ran on. And alongside with that, the House has a lot of oversight power through their committees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Senate does as well, but with the House, there's more members and. I believe there's more committees as well. So I have a varying scope of oversight or just general committee powers. And additionally, any bills that have to do with like finances or money appropriations, things like that, I believe have to originate in the House of Representatives. So when it comes to funding the government in general, the military, any real legislative action that president biden wants to advance as part of his agenda he's now going to have to do so through a republican house of representatives
0: uh, trying to go back to like probably the beginning of the conversation we talked about how it's very normal for the part the opposing party of the current sitting president to win in the midterms and we've seen that they win by a lot so I mean, without going into too too much detail, because that would have to be another episode, and I'm pretty sure there are a lot of media outlets that have even tried to get political analysts to like figure out what exactly happened. But to all our listeners, what happened? <laughs> like, why was the major? Why was the margin so low? And you know, because we knew that we were gonna expect some roadblocks, right? Um, as we as you mentioned before, with inflation, with the economy. Um, There was a lot, you know, just the political climate being so polarized, yet we ended up coming out strong in some of these states. I know you're going to talk about your homeboy, Fetterman, in Pennsylvania, (laughs) um, and I'll let you do that. But you know, just what exactly happened? Why? So I'll start
1: with some historical background. In 1934, no Democratic senators lost re-election, but since 1934, Every single president, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, has seen at least one senator from their party lose re-election in every single midterm cycle since 1934. The Democrats didn't lose a single Senate seat this cycle. Wow! So for the first time in almost 100 years, has an incumbent president's party not only not lost a Senate seat, but expanded their Senate majority. And that's exactly what happened with john fetterman in pennsylvania he ended up becoming the democrats 51st senate seat by flipping pennsylvania um who the seat is currently held by retiring republican senator pat toomey and it will now be represented by incoming senator john fetterman
0: gotcha okay so that's a big that's a big thing we ended up not losing any seats and we ended up actually like gaining some
1: Yes, we okay. gained one seat in the Senate, which gives Democrats a 51 seat majority, meaning that they do not have to Utilized. abide by their power sharing agreement with the Republican Party anymore. They don't need Kamala Harris there as often to break ties, and mm-hmm. they will have majorities on all of the committees now, mm-hmm. which allows for their pro- the, whatever work they're doing to operate a lot more smoothly, and they wouldn't have to face roadblocks from tied votes on committees.
0: Okay. You explain what the house does and why it's important for like what they do. Yeah. Let's talk about the senate and why it was yeah. so important for us. A
1: uh, slim margin. And by we, uh, full disclosure, if you haven't noticed already, I am a Democrat, and I <laughs> Democrat. believe Selena is yeah. as well. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, we're obviously still going to try to just tell it how it is, but when we say we, it's because that's the party we're registered
0: with. Yes. <laughs> So, So, yeah, getting
1: back to the Senate. Um, So, I know I talked about how the House has the power for impeachment, Mm -hmm. and the Senate serves as the jury for impeachment. Okay. And in cases where there is an impeachment, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court presides over it, kind of as a judge, but in a non-traditional fashion. And all 100 senators serve as the jury. And in order to convict a president, you need to get two-thirds of the Senate, which is 67, to vote to convict. That's
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then some other things with the Senate that are really important are judicial vacancies. Uh, if a Supreme Court justice dies, retires, resigns, anything like that, without the Senate, it's going to be even more difficult for president biden to appoint a new supreme court justice we saw that in 2016 after antonin scalia died obama tried to nominate merrick garland and that was in february and the republicans in the senate said it was too close to an election year to do that and then when ruth bader ginsburg died they kind of flip-flopped on that but that's yeah
0: that's not
1: relevant really right now but (laughs) essentially the main function's or the main importance right now for having the Senate is those judicial appointments as well as executive appointments as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha, and obviously as everyone knows, you guys can feel free to check out our Supreme Court episode. I think it was our first episode of Shorts. Um, I think Brian there talks a little bit more about what the Supreme Court does, a couple of cases as examples. So let's then talk about why there was an election on Tuesday. Uh, At the time of recording, this is Thursday, December 8th, and two days ago was the runoff election in Georgia. Yes. So before we start feeling about everything, let's er, take a step back. What is a runoff? Why does it happen? Yeah. Why do we have to have an election in December when election day is is in November?
1: So by Georgia law in their state, uh, the Constitution delegates matters of elections to each state, uh, there's an interesting case right now, the oral arguments were actually held yesterday at the Supreme Court in Moore v. Harper, which has to do with independent state legislature theory and who really controls the election procedures and laws in each state. But for the time being, the state of Georgia has a law that requires any statewide candidate or maybe even any candidate, I'm not exactly sure, but you have to get 50% plus one in order to be elected. And if you don't, the election will go to a runoff with the top two vote-getters. We saw this happen in 2020 with both Senate elections, and John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock were both victorious in those elections. Mm -hmm. And since Warnock was only filling in for two years of a full term, he had to run again this year for a full term, which he did in November, but he was unsuccessful in getting that 50% plus one result against Herschel Walker, which forced them into a runoff where Raphael Warnock did end up winning.
0: Do you have any like assumptions and again this Brian is not an (laughs) expert there isn't really any data behind it but just curious to have an open dialogue Mm -hmm. and maybe spur some interest of people who are listening like this is deja vu. Is this going to happen again? Like, do you think, what is it about Georgia? Um, I think this just raises a lot of questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that Georgia does this, um, this kind of runoff, when you compare it to the state of Alaska, they have more of an instant runoff system through ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. So I think if Georgia implemented something like that, then they wouldn't have to hold these elections a month later and spend however much they do on election administration costs. Yeah. So I'm not sure entirely. I mean, the residents of Georgia had the opportunity to vote for Raphael Warnock four times in the last two years um, because they had to vote for him twice in a general, twice in a runoff. Mm -hmm. But they will get a break from that for now until 2028, since he just won a full term in the Senate.
0: Okay. Enough about Georgia. Let's go to their neighbor, Florida.
1: Oh, yes. The, the great state of Florida. Um, <laughs> the sunshine state. So they had their governor's election the same, uh, going concurrently with one of their Senate races. Uh, Ron DeSantis beat Charlie Crist, who used to be a Republican governor of Florida, who has since become a Democrat. He, uh, DeSantis beat him by nearly 20 points. It wasn't even close. Beat him by about one and a half million votes. Um, which positions DeSantis pretty well for a 2024 bid at the presidency. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the Senate goes, incumbent Senator Marco Rubio beat incumbent Congresswoman Val Demings. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, this one was a 16 and a half percentage difference. Another landslide. It wasn't close. And it's pushing Florida further and further away from swing state status and more towards solid republican status in terms Mm -hmm. of electoral politics and i think it's interesting to think about how the val demings campaign spent nearly 70 million dollars just to lose this badly um when other races like ones in wisconsin where uh democrat challenger mandela barnes only lost by about twenty seven thousand votes to incumbent ron johnson Mm -hmm. and If some of that money that was spent in Florida was redirected towards Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. Democrats could have been looking at a 52 Senate seat majority Mm -hmm. instead of 51. And that, again, dilutes Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, making it even more likely that Democrats could reform the filibuster.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really interesting for us to have an episode, not right now, but just like in the future, talking about campaign financing. I think that would be really interesting, especially... um, with, you know, it's so complicated, yet it's public. So it's meant to be complicated, but anyone can really just look at all this funding.
1: Yeah. And then, so there was a couple other more interesting elections. Mm -hmm. Uh, Arizona, their Senate race, actually a lot of their statewide races ended up going to Democratic candidates. They almost swept all of the statewide offices. Democrat won the governorship. I believe Secretary of State... Um, Obviously, Mark Kelly won re-election to the Senate against Blake Masters. So Arizona has been trending blue very heavily in the last four years, which Mm -hmm. I find very interesting. The New Hampshire election was one that really surprised me. Um, New Hampshire has always been very indicative of presidential success in terms of elections. And the incumbent Senator Maggie Hassan won her election in 2016 to the Senate by, I believe it was less than a 1,000 votes. And some of the polls that were coming out were showing that she was going to lose or that her polling average kept dropping as Election Day got closer. And she ended up winning in what I would say is a landslide in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. She won by... Over 50,000 votes in New Hampshire, uh, about nine percentage points. So, and that was another Trump endorsed candidate who lost. He, mm-hmm. he did not have a good record in the Senate this cycle. He lost Arizona, he lost Georgia, New Hampshire, I think Nevada. I don't know if he endorsed Laxalt in Nevada, he lost Pennsylvania as well. I think his only real wins were. J.D. Vance in Ohio and Ron Johnson in Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. Well, again, we're just stating what the results are. But trying to, like, think about, you know, we're about to enter 2023 and 2023 is going to be a very interesting year because we're going to have the primary for uh, the Republican Party to then run for yes. 2024. So let's look at that with through the lens of what the outcome for 2022 is and... I don't know, what, what do you think's next? Like, what's next for the two parties? What's next for elections? Oh, so, you know, we have two years until the next election. Yeah. Anything can happen. I honestly say that now with full confidence. Anything can yeah. happen. Um, so what's next, you think?
1: I think Democrats will retake the House in 2024. Um, and I think this strong midterm showing from Biden kind of reinforces and strengthens his position to run for re-election. Um, Some may not be a fan of that. Uh, Obviously, age is a concern. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously, President Trump, the week after the midterms, announced that he will be running again. Mm -hmm. And everyone is still waiting on the edge of their seats to see if anyone's going to step up and challenge him. Mm -hmm. A lot of the rumors around it are that, like I was talking about, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will run against him. And I think that primary is going to be a very ugly one. He knows that he's still going to have a solid base that's going to back him. It's just a matter of if that base is big enough to propel him to a primary victory. And personally, I think if Trump loses the primary to DeSantis, A, he won't endorse him. And B, he might even try to run against him as a third party candidate to pull votes away from him, which would hand the election to a Democrat yeah so i think that's really interesting to consider and going back to the senate there is a very bad map for democrats in 2024 it's the same map as the 2018 senate elections which includes seats in montana ohio and west virginia which trump won handily in 2020 um, even 2016 he won all three of those states It also includes seats in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Arizona, and Nevada. So it's going to be very difficult for Democrats to hold on to this seat. But having that 51-seat majority enables Joe Manchin to vote more with Republicans and position himself for a re-election win. He ran for re-election in 2012, another presidential election year, with Obama and Romney on the tickets, obviously, Mm -hmm. and Manchin won 60.6% of the vote. He only lost three counties in West Virginia, while Mitt Romney won every single county and 62% of the vote. So it shows that Manchin can win on a presidential ticket, but a decade later... The well, decade and two years later, who knows if he's going to be able to actually uphold that because we've only seen more and more partisan divide.
0: One of the biggest facets that I've read as to why this year was so special or like why it was able to catch momentum was because of the Dobbs decision in the yes. summer. Yes, oh, 100%. So I guess the question is, is this momentum that enabled voters to go out? Because, you know, we have voters who vote on issues alone, we have other voters who will go out and vote every single time, yeah. and is that plausible in two years to expect the same voters? Because for me personally, I think the Democratic playbook really needs to change in some facets. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's outdated, and I think it's very one-sided in how it looks at groups. And again, what happened this year was completely unprecedented because of what happened with Dobbs. But is that going to be? Replicated like the momentum from these groups in 2024. Yes,
1: I definitely think it will be. I think the Dobbs effect, whatever you want to call it, is going to be felt for a generation because Mm -hmm. you pissed off women and pretty much anyone under the age of 40. Yeah. So if you're doing that and giving them a reason to vote against you. They don't necessarily care who they're voting for as long as it's against that position. And you're going to see millions of single-issue voters. I mean, we saw it in Kansas. Yeah. There was a direct ballot initiative in Kansas regarding abortion. And the pro-choice position won handily. It wasn't even close. And it was enough to even, a couple months later, propel their incumbent Democrat governor to win Mm re-election. So it's showing that these positions are unpopular to the electorate, and as a result, it's gonna drive voters out to vote against you. I mean, we saw it in Michigan too, they had a ballot initiative about abortion, and it, again, the pro choice position won very easily, and that pushed their governor, Gretchen Whitmer, to win re election in a landslide. Like, it just wasn't close. And Democratic candidate Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania running for governor also used the issue of Dobbs as another motivating factor of his candidacy and mm-hmm. it was able to push him to a landslide victory but I think it's a little different with Pennsylvania they had say. a very poor candidate there mm-hmm. um, he- well
0: I was gonna say weren't the issues in Pennsylvania really not focused on women but more focused on because you know John Fetterman I think one some of the thing that I heard about him was that he was running on issues like You know, bringing back unions. Oh yes, Pennsylvania
1: is a very big union industrial blue collar state. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely one of the main issues there. But Mm -hmm. I think when you compound that with the Dobbs decision, it's only going to propel them even further across the finish line. Mm -hmm. And again, like I was saying, with the poor candidate quality. Yeah. Um, at least for governor, um, I think his name was Doug Mastriano. He was at the Capitol on January 6th uh, and some photos of him dressed in like Confederate uh, army uniforms came out before the election as well. So obviously that's not going to bode well, bode well with voters yeah. and that put Josh Shapiro in an incredible position for victory. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just the beginning for his political career. And I think he's going to, at some point, take a step onto the national stage along with the Michigan governor.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Brian. I think your line, "This is just the beginning," that's how I want to end it because I think there's no better line to say than, "This is the outcome of the 2022 midterm. It's December 2022. On to 2023. Only time will tell <laughs> what's going to happen with this political it's climate." Be but very you, interesting. But you best believe that. Here on Shorts, we will continue our mission in making sure that we inform every single one of our listeners on what's going on on all things policy and politics. And we just want to personally thank you for listening to us throughout the past couple of months. If you've been listening to Do Good Well since its inception, we see you. We thank you. And um, this is really sad. It's our last episode together. You know i'm gonna insert some crying sounds (laughs) (laughs) in this um but yeah again i'm gonna reiterate we are looking for people to step up and participate in the short subsidiary series and or do good well if you are interested in applying please send a resume or a cover letter on what you are hoping to gain from this experience you don't need to have any skills in uh designing or in uh, um, podcast editing we are willing to teach you if you're willing to learn So um, with that, I'm going to say this is the last time you'll be hearing from Brian and I. Brian, do you have any words?
1: Um, I just want to thank everyone that's spent the time listening to us talk about random political stuff that we (laughs) thought was important to share with everyone. We
0: upgraded from the bar to an actual podcast. (laughs) You can make it happen.
1: (laughs) And I hope whoever takes over um in the future i wish them nothing but success and obviously we're here to help them if they need it and i can't wait to see what kinds of things that they come up with and develop for this
0: yeah again this podcast is for you all this podcast is made from you all so you know this is this podcast is as much yours as it is ours